killer the dogs. Fly boys. You know I keep my eyes wide, east side high rises, west side low riders, best with the four fire. Yes, I for show fire, DIP low rider, see police slow Cause they be thinking that the ride's stolen. Keep your head up and your eyes open. Slow the letter while the ride rolling. Creep up on the mark like what you say, fuck him, well fuck him, well if he lives smoking. We don't appeal to the law, you know we ride this motherfucker till the wheels are full off. The first bastard gets fly, you know, bit, bit, bit was my reply. 89 wolf pack and we rallying. B89 pull gas cause we valid. Shit, yeah, we put coke on the strip. Don't quote me, boy, cause I ain't said shit. Episode 71, let's get it. Still slide through fly coops and the chains is plush. Keep the banger tough case. I had the banger funk. We certified gangsters. All day we hanging smut dog with a gang of ducks. Honey grain on the hand cane. Got the range of trucks. Kill with the deal. Still got cane and cut. Cause we certified gangsters. Raise the hot as I lay in the jock. Pump the bass on the pot. The H on our block in front of H on our block. See the face on our watch. Put your face on our I keep the loop a hug, show you how to use the snub. Whoopie whoop, fuck around, be you, I plug. I don't do the drugs, baby, I move the drugs right on the computer love. The sound like computer love. Duck the cop capers and the top haters. Fox flavors, Harlem world, we got gators. Not dead, I said they alive. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. This is straight to A to C, May to April. Bring the apes through, fuck around, you be ape food, bait food. Let's go. Right back at you. We certified gangsters. Back into number 80 right now. Let's go, Jim. Let's get it. You got it. Episode 71. What you see here with certified gangsters on this shit? Jim Jones. Cop Let's go, Jimmy. New York's Robin Man. Killer the Dawn. AKA Yep, it's up right now. Episode 71, you got it. Back to back episodes. I didn't think I was really going to do nothing today, but um, we back at it. So 
that that's just that's just what's going on right now. Definitely, uh, we definitely gonna get into a couple of things. I just finished watching the '85 South special, DC Young Flag, Carlos Chico Bean, and it was funny. It was uh, definitely you could tell it was definitely a lot of improv. They said it was improv when it started, and. Yeah, it, yeah, it was definitely a good watch. But undoubtedly, Carlos is definitely the funniest one out of all three of them. It's and I and I don't even think it's close. Like really, I mean Chico and DC. I mean, yeah, all respect to them, they're funny. But Carlos is the funniest out of all three of them. He just has a I don't know what it is the the way he talk, the way his mannerisms, the way he, you know, this his whole swag and. The way he says things, I don't know what it is, but he's definitely he's hilarious. But almost everything he says is funny. Like, and it'd be about the way he says it too. I, I don't know, I can't really explain it, but hands down, he's the funniest out of all three of them. They're all super talented. Uh the you know, the whole thing that they did about the mega church, you know, was was crazy. Um Chico dancing around. With the lady who said she was Carlos's aunt, I don't or, or I don't know stepmom or whatever she said, and just Carlos, just with his one-liners. I mean, his 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 one-liners are unmatched. But yeah, definitely definitely a good watch if you haven't checked it out. It's on Netflix, eighty-five South special. Definitely tune in if if you know if you ain't checked it out yet. But um, yeah, I definitely you know I wanted to watch it so. But uh, I, I yeah, we really ain't starting with any entertainment things right now. I kind of want to get into uh, the draft. You know, I kind of finished last yesterday's episode, rounding out the top. I think twenty two picks, twenty one, twenty two picks at a draft, and we got the draft coming up Thursday at the Barclays Center. And I have a top five highest ceiling draft prospects list that I definitely want to run off. Now, of course, my list is a little biased, and I'm going I'm to keep it real with y'all and just, and just kind of say that from the door. I do have somebody left off the list that y'all are probably going to, you know, go crazy on me about, but he's definitely an honorable mention. According to Woes, Brandon Miller is supposed to be solidified as the number two pick in the draft. That would mean that Scoot would probably go down to number three. Uh, of course, we all know Wimby's going number one. And I'm going to just kind of up front tell y'all, Brandon Miller does have a high ceiling. But he did not make my top five high ceiling draft prospects list. And he should have. And I, and I, and I, I, don't, I had to leave somebody off. I had to leave somebody off. Unfortunately, it was him, and I'm kind of regretting it. I mean, he's he's st- uh, he's on the list because I did a top five, you know, kind of of first round picks, and then I I kind of put two honorable mentions that I thought would be you know second round steals. So, Brandon Miller is definitely on the list, but yeah, I don't know, he, he's somewhere on there. But I don't want y'all to kill me for leaving him off the list. He's talented. He's probably going to be the second coming to Paul George. Uh, I forget what Big Perk Big Perk said he was. Who did Big Perk say he was today? 
I can't remember. It's slipping my mind right now, but he's going to be a certified bucket. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind. Now he's going to Charlotte. It'll, you know, he'll, he'll team up with uh, with Lamelo and, and Rozier. Uh, I mean, they got yeah, they got a pretty decent roster. So he'll team up with them. We'll see how that goes. But let's let's kind of get into the list of my top five high ceiling draft prospects. Coming at number five, I have Derek Lively, the second um, out of Duke. Average 5.5 points per game, 5.4 uh, rebounds per game, 65% from the field, 2.4 blocks per game. Now, he was hurt most of the season, but around the time that Duke's season turned around and they kind of ran off a bunch of games and then at that at that point going into March Madness they were kind of the favorites to win it all it was around the time that he got healthy he he anchored their defense uh rim protection lob threat uh he had a season high 14 rebounds season high eight eight blocks and I'm kind of giving his NBA comparison to a thinner Dwight Howard. Now, hear me out. When Dwight Howard came into the league, he was uber athletic. He was a lob threat. Didn't really have too much. He was very raw offensively, but on defense, he was a menace. That is what Derek Lively is going to make his money at on the defensive end. He could defend one through five. He could protect the rim. He's not afraid to challenge anybody at the rim. And as far as offensively, he's a lob threat. You know, he could dunk anything. So when I say thinner Dwight Howard, I just means that he just needs to pack on some pounds. Of course, his body frame, he will never be uh, as muscular as Dwight Howard, but he'll add on some pounds. He'll he'll bulk up a little bit. But in regards to, you know, just rim protection, lob threat, he reminds me a little bit of Dwight Howard. So that is my NBA con for him. I have His ceiling is high. I believe his ceiling is high. If he can reach to a thinner Dwight Howard, that's a – top 75 player that's a nba champ that's a, a three-time all defensive player of the year uh five-time all first team nba i mean that's a that's a good comp if he if his ceiling is that that's a very good comp um coming in at number four on this list i have scoot henderson uh we don't really have a lot from scoot i mean five-star prospect coming out of georgia in the g league he was the youngest player in the league at 17. He had a high 31 points in the league, averaged 14, uh, four and four, uh, 46%, you know, while he was down there playing. And he looks like, I mean, his, you know, he looks like he's has that dog in him. I believe his ceiling, his NBA comp is a Steve Francis 2.0. When I look at Scoot, that's exactly who I see. Uh, you remember when Steve Francis came into the league, he was super athletic. He had all the dribble moves. He would dunk on you. He could heat up from mid-range. He could occasionally hit the three ball. But ultimately, when he got into that paint, he'll definitely throw it down on you. So when I think about Scoot, he kind of reminds me they're similar frame. They're both about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, uh, stocky, pretty strong, good handle of the ball, uh, tenacious defenders. That's kind of what I think when I see Scoot Henderson. And I think, you know, Stevie Francis, you know, was a perennial all-star. So if Scoot can exceed that level, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think his floor is Steve Francis. Um, 
He may be potential. He has potential to get to a Baron Davis level. We'll see. But I think his floor is Steve Francis, which is not a bad floor. Uh, his ceiling potentially may be Baron Davis, which is, I mean, also is not a bad comp. Not bad at all. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm attributing that to the way he attacks the rim. Coming in at number three on my list is Grady Dick. Grady Dick is a baller. He's been a baller. Gatorade Player of the Year in high school coming out of Sunrise Christian uh, for Kansas. Averaged 14, five, five rebounds a game, 40%, 40% from three. Had a season high, 26 points and six threes. And when I think about Grady Dick, he's a lot more athletic than what he looks. He's not afraid to attack the rim. He shoots a very high percentage, uh, catch and shoot threes, off the dribble threes. He can do pretty much do it all offensively. Uh, and when I think about him, I think of a young Mike Miller. Uh, you remember when Mike Miller was at Florida, he was really athletic. You know, he would dunk on you. He would get to the rim. It wasn't until he kind of got with the heat that he became more of a spot up shooter. But prior to prior to that, Mike Miller was a, a bucket. Like it was, I mean, I don't really think that we can, you know what I mean, kind of can really talk bad about Mike Miller's game. I think if Grady Dick becomes Mike Miller, that's a you know, that's a very good, very good, you know, very good career. I mean, Mike Miller was Rookie of the Year 2001 with the Magic, uh, Sixth Man of the Year with the Grizzlies in 2006, won the championships with the Heat. But Mike Miller was a bucket. But he became a three-point specialist kind of when he got to the Heat. But before that, though, no, nah, he definitely used to get down. So when I think about Grady Dick, that's kind of who I think of. I think his comp is similar to that because I, I believe he's athletic. Now, later in his career, will his knockdown three-point ability probably come be a larger role? You know, as he becomes, you know, a little bit slower, less athletic. Yeah, of course, that, that's his natural progression. But uh, earlier in his career, he'll, you know, he'll catch a body. You know what I mean? Uh, for lack of a better term, but in, in in basketball terms, let me rephrase that in basketball terms. But he definitely, I mean, he definitely can uh, get to the rim. Uh, so I, I like that NBA comp with him. Coming in at number two, we have. Uh, Wimbanyama, and I know you're probably like, why do you don't why you don't have Victor Wimbanyama number one? Because I don't, and I'm being biased right now. But of course, you know, Wimby, we've never seen anything like him. MVP of, you know, his Euro League that he was in in France uh this year, 21 points per game, 10 rebounds a game, three blocks. He led that division that he played in in all three of those categories. Career had 33 points. Of course, the highlight that goes around is the one where he shoots the three-pointer uh, and misses front rim. He runs in there off the tip, grabs the, the rebound in midair all at one time and dunks it. It's a play that I don't think that anybody has ever seen happen before in basketball. I've never seen a player shoot a three, go get his own rebound and tip dunk it. Those are the freakish things that he does that we've never really seen that have him being labeled as the top prospect since LeBron. Uh, he put out an interview with J.J. Reddick and the Old Man in the Three podcast that I definitely got to check out. I didn't get a chance to watch it before 
Uh, I recorded this, but I am going to watch it before the draft because it looks like a very good interview. And he seems to be a very candid person. So I'm looking forward to that interview as well. But um, his NBA comp, man, I had a hard time thinking of his comp. I feel like I think his floor is bowl bowl, which as of right now does not seem like that is a lot, but I think bowl bowl will get better with opportunity. I believe Wimby's ceiling, though, is unlimited because we've never seen anything like him before. So that, I mean, with that being said, there is no NBA comp to him at all. But if his floor is Bobo, that's still going to be an effective NBA player. But it appears as if he's better than Bobo. So we do not have a, I don't have an NBA comp for him. Just for the simple fact, he's a unicorn. We've never seen him. A 7-5 player with that wingspan, with that handle, with that jump shot, uh, shooting one-legged three-pointers like Dirk, uh, rim protecting. I mean, just, you know, just being a menace in the paint. We've never seen anything like that. Of course, his weight is always going to be an issue. He does appear to be very frail. But, you know, in the NBA, he will he will put on some pounds. He Maybe he hasn't reached his grown man weight. Grown man weight will definitely add probably another 20 to 30 pounds onto him. And at that point, it's going to be very scary. It's going to be very scary. So... Yeah, that, that, so that I couldn't really come up with a comp for him. Um, but I do like the floor being Bobo. Ceiling, unlimited. Unlimited potential. Uh, coming in at number one on my list is Jalen Hushafino. I should have known that it was going to be him. Um, at Indiana, averaged 13.5 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 3.1 assists, 40% from the field, 33%. From three, average one steal a game. He had a season high, uh, nine assists and six threes against Purdue on the road. He had 35-7-3 against Northwestern. He had 33 on five for seven on, from three-point land. Uh, he's a two-time national champ at Montverde. If you are looking for – I'm talking – and I'm specifically talking to the Houston Rockets. If you are looking for a leader – if you are looking for a playmaker, someone that can play out the pick and roll, a high IQ decision maker, someone that can get downhill with the wings that you have in Houston, someone that you know uh, is an effective mid-range shooter, an improving three-point shooter, a tenacious defender, then this is your guy. Okay, and, and I understand you know you probably don't think he can score. But prior to going to Montverde Academy, when he is at combine, he averaged almost 30. So it's not like he's, he's capable of scoring the ball. It just depends on what he's being asked to do. If you ask him to score the ball, he can get you 30. If you ask him to distribute the ball, he can give you nine assists, 10 assists a game. If you ask him to rebound the ball, he can give you six or seven rebounds a game. If you ask him to uh, just be a floor general, he can not turn the basketball over, in which he only averaged, I think, one or two turnovers a game. I believe that his ceiling is Jason Kidd with a way better jump shot. If you are the Houston Rockets and you could have got Jason Kidd coming out of Cal with uh, Kevin Porter running run wing, Jalen Green running the other wing, uh, Jabari uh, trailing for the three, uh, Sanguin 
you know, on the block, uh, Jay Sean Tate, you would take that. If you were the Houston Rockets and you could add a Jason Kidd coming out of Cal to that roster, you would take that in a heartbeat. You would take it in a heartbeat. And and I want to say he has a little bit of Russell Westbrook in him too as well because he's durable and he is going to play tenacious defense. So I'm specifically talking to the Houston Rockets, but that is my top five uh, highest ceiling draft prospects of this year's draft. Coming in at number five, Derek Lively. Coming in at number four, Scoot Henderson. Coming in at number three, Grady Dick. Number two, Wimanyama. And number one, Hood Shafino. Uh, Brandon Miller, you're definitely, you know, you're definitely right there. Uh, but I had to make a decision on my list, and, and I did leave you off. But you should be on the list. So make no mistake, you should be on that list. Now, as far as my, my second-round steals, I have Marcus Sasser out of Houston. I believe that he's going to be a playmaker. His NBA comp, I believe, is, is Rodney Hood. He does need to extend his his shooting range a little bit further out to three-point range. But as far as being an athletic wing defender, uh, a left-hander that can get into the lane, um, is can get you, you know, automatic buckets, but is going to be a problem on the perimeter defensively. That's your guy. I believe Marcus Sasser is a second round steal. He should actually sneak into the late first round, but we'll kind of see about that. And I, I have Imani Bates on here as a steal because I believe that Imani Bates still has some a lot of potential. <clears throat> I believe Imani Bates still has a lot of potential. Uh, it, whatever it didn't work out in Memphis for whatever reason. At Eastern Michigan, he did average think 18, 19 points a game. His NBA comp, I believe, is Rashad Lewis. I mean, Imani Bates is going to shoot the basketball. He's not really going to give you too much else. I believe as his game develops, he will become a better defender. He will become a better rebounder. But as of right now, he's going to get you buckets. When, you know, Remember when Rashad Lewis was with the Supersonics uh, with Ray Allen? He could shoot that ball uh, when he got to – when he was with Orlando. I mean, he was putting – he could shoot three ball. That's Imani Bates, someone that's 6'10", 6'9", uh, can stretch the floor. That's going to be him until his game kind of fills out a little bit more. I got his NBA combos, Rashard Lewis. Rashard Lewis was probably a uh, multiple-time All-Star, maybe three or four-time All-Star when he was in the league. So I do like that comp. And I'm kind of keeping an eye on Imani Bates. Definitely keeping an eye on Imani Bates. A sleeper that I have also, too, that I'm going to put in this is Jaime Hawkes out of UCLA. If you watched uh, Jaime at UCLA, Mick Cronin ran an NBA-type offense. Hawkes usually isolated a lot uh, at the low post, mid post, and was very effective in those areas. Uh, defensively is going to be the problem with him. But other than that, at 6'8", he's a matchup nightmare. He can shoot the three. He can get into the lane. Um, his NBA comp, ah, that's a tough one. His NBA comp, um, man, that, that's a tough one. He's 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 big. I want to say Danilo Gallinari, potentially, but I believe that he's more effective off the bounce than Gallinari was. But I believe his floor may be Gallinari's ceiling. Uh, his ceiling could be, I don't know. His ceiling could be a, a lot better than Gallinari, but I believe that that's kind of in the ilk that he is. But he's also someone that I believe could go 
earlier in the first round than he should because he's played an NBA style of game. Uh, that kind of rounds out, you know, what I have going on with the draft. We will kind of get into draft fits and needs. Um, with, you know, Woes dropping the bomb and saying Charlotte is definitely entrenched with taking Brandon Miller at two, that kind of puts Scoot at number three. And there's a lot of talk about Damian Lillard and what he wants uh, moving forward with this Portland Trailblazer team. Is he going to be okay with Scoot at that pick? Um, I know he won Zion. I think I like Zion going there as well. Um, and we'll get into Zion a little bit later in this episode. But I do like Zion going to Portland and teaming up with Lillard. I believe that makes them very strong. They'll still have Simons. Uh, they still have Jeremy Grant. They got Nurkic. I mean, that's still a that's still a very solid team if they can manage to get Zion and keep Jeremy Grant. Um, they draft Scoot. They trade Simons. Um, they're they're looking pretty strong. I know Lillard. There was there is a lot of you know issues with what he wants, and we'll see what happens with that moving forward. But um, you know, I do like Scoot next to Lillard, but I can't see how that works with keeping Simons. So we'll see. I mean, if Scoot calls out the, the top three, I'll be extremely surprised. I will be extremely surprised. But with the draft, anything can happen. You just never know. Um, You know, we have the whole thing with Chris Paul. Where is he going to end up? Uh, Clippers seem to be the front runner right now for Chris Paul. So when that domino falls, we may see what happens after that moving forward. Um. But it's going to be interesting because I believe if Chris Paul stays in Washington, I believe he takes them to the playoffs. You know, when he was in Oklahoma City, nobody gave them a chance to make the playoffs. Of course, Chris Paul led them to a sixth seed um, into the first round of the playoffs. And I believe they didn't win that series, but, I mean, they got there when they were not expected to get there. Any team that Chris Paul was on, he's going to lead them. Uh, They are going to win basketball games. They don't call him the point god for no reason. So... That is something that we will see what happens moving forward. And we are going to transition out of that. That is pretty much all the sports that I'm going to do for this episode. Oh, and and I do want to speak on this this whole Jonathan Kaminga rumor that he's now 7'2", or at least 7'0". Big Perkins put that out there. Iguodala has said something about it. Uh, Some other people from the Warriors have said that Kaminga has grown. And let me tell you, Jonathan Kaminga is now seven foot two inches, at least seven foot. That changes a lot for the Warriors, an awful lot. Because that now moves him to a center position. He was already playing a power forward slash center position. But if he is now that big, that changes a lot of things for the Warriors moving forward and how they round out that roster, what they do with uh, Draymond Green as far as trying to re-sign him and give him the contract that he needs, which may be team-friendly, it may not. Um, <clears throat> but we will see. But that that is something to keep an eye on, is, is the height of Kaminga, if he is now officially that big. Because that is going to be a scary. If he's that big with, and he kept that athleticism that he has and he improves that three ball, you're looking at you know a very scary player. You're looking at a very scary player if, 
that's you know if that rumor is true and so um oh another thing we got kyle kuzma declined this player option washington y'all dropped the ball on that y'all should have traded him when you had a chance so you can get something back now he's gone he's gonna walk you will not get nothing for him he declined this player option i don't understand the thinking behind that if you're the wizards brass but why not trade him so you can get something back now he's out of there there's no way he resounds with y'all I don't. I mean, you're gonna have to offer him, um, pretty much almost half the franchise if you want him to stay, because he's gonna be looking to get with a contender. He's gonna be looking to help somebody win a championship. He already has one championship. I don't think he's really looking for a major payday. I believe he's looking for somewhere that he can go win, which is not going to be Washington. Um, so the Wizards, you dropped the ball on that one. You still have Porzingis, so you still got a chance to make a trade and get something back and get some assets back. You need to do it before Thursday. You need to do it before Thursday. So we'll see what happens. So let's go ahead and transition out of that. And let's get into this no-no of the week. Let's get into this no-no of the week. And this no-no goes to the Miami stripper who got caught stealing 62000 from a man who visited the strip club. She was... Uh, she was arrested this week for basically supplying the man with a lot of Patron, a lot of tequila, getting them drunk as possible, having them, you know, do a whole lot of lap dances, and then using his credit card and PayPal information to funnel 62000 out of his accounts, according to the police. Yanlin Rivera Bosaw, 34 was one of several women who performed lap dances for the victim in a private VIP room at Playmates last Friday. The Miami cops have said uh, the dancers claimed it was on the house. Well, he, the, yeah, they claimed that the drinks were on the house. The real when of women repeatedly poured tequila shots down this man's throat until he became so drunk that he could no longer stand. Now, as her colleagues uh, gyrated at close quarters to keep the victim distracted, uh, Rivera Bosa relieved the unidentified mark of his cell phone. They, they called him a mark. That's crazy. Uh, of his cell phone and his wallet. And during that time, she apparently decided to transfer some money. The man finally able to you know, get his bearings together around 4 a.m. He later realized he was missing the items and began to check his accounts. He noticed six unauthorized PayPal withdrawals to an unknown person, along with an unfamiliar flurry of charges to his Chase, Wells Fargo, and American Express cards. The damages amounted to a total of $62,345 in just a matter of hours. The victim later realized that Rivera Bosaw had entered her number into his device in order to send herself the payments, and then the man proceeded to call police. Now, Yanlin Rivera is getting this no-no, not for the idea of what she thought she was gonna do, and not for and not for you know thinking the man was drunk and she would be able to get away with it. She's getting this no-no because in this age of digital currency why would she think that there was not going to be a paper trail for what she did 
there are a lot of businesses, more and more businesses are trying to eliminate cash altogether. So what was she thinking knowing these transactions would be posted somewhere? Like, I mean, she had to know that these transactions would be somewhere on some card on some on something. It wasn't like she was just taking cash off this man. And the next thing is that more than likely this might have been his first, maybe second time at this strip club. Why in the world would this man PayPal you that much and he's never met you before? Not to mention you weren't the only dancer that was working at the club that night. It's not like, you know, your box is made of 24 karat gold. So why would he just pick you out of all the dancers to PayPal? And even if he did pick you to PayPal you that money, it's not going to be 62000 I, I I mean, I, I doubt it is. I mean, I don't know if this man is rich or not. I have no idea, but I highly doubt that he's going to just out of nowhere decide to PayPal you $62,000. So, you know, this is the era of cryptocurrency, the era of Apple Wallet, uh, you know, cashless transactions all over the place. Some people, you know, only want to take Apple Pay. You had to know that you PayPaling, you were going to get caught. You just had to know that. And for that reason, uh, Yanlin Rivera Bosal, this no-no is for you, just for not recognizing the times that we are living in in regards to digital currency and, you know, transactions and some sort of, you know, trace of these digital currency transactions. So this no-no is going for you. Yeah, I feel I, I feel bad for the man. I mean, of course, you know, he probably was having a good time and was trying to enjoy himself and to wake up and find out all your money is gone. It's got to be a blow. It, I mean, it had to be. That's not really something that you're kind of looking forward to. You don't really, you know, you're just going out to have a night full of fun. You do not think you're going to get robbed, uh, especially for that much. So, um. Just an unfortunate situation, but the no-no definitely goes to Yanlin Rivera Bosaw for not understanding there was going to be a paper trail. So let's kind of um, transition and pivot out of that, and let's give give an update on the submersible that is missing off the coast that was going to try to visit the Titanic. The U.S. Coast Guard has said it has not identified the source of the banging noises that they heard that were picked up by a sonar Tuesday and Wednesday morning, but the information has been shared with the experts from the U.S. Navy, and the search is still continuing. Um, there's the dwindling air supply. There's less than a day of oxygen may be left on a vessel, and that's based on Coast Guard officials' latest estimates. Um, and the thing, the whole thing about the air, the 90, 96 hours of air, I anticipate that that is not how much air that they actually you know that's not how much time they have of air because when you are in a situation like that you are probably hyperventilating if you are just remaining calm in that situation and breathing normal then more power to you you're you're built different but me 
I don't I, I just don't I don't anticipate myself being able to handle breathing normally in a situation like that after more than an hour. You know, mind you, the ocean is probably one of the scariest, probably the scariest thing that we have on the planet Earth. There's more information on outer space than there is in the ocean. The ocean is pitch black when you get down, but so far there hasn't been a lot of people that have, you know, been down in the ocean that deep. So, I mean, it's probably pitch black where they're at. I don't know if there's light inside that submersible. I have no idea, but regardless, you're still not really breathing. You're probably hyperventilating at some point. You know, you're blowing out a bunch of CO2. You're not really inhaling any, you know, fresh oxygen. So I just doubt that, you know, that 96 hours is not what we think it is. Uh, a Canadian Coast Guard official confirmed Wednesday that one of the one of his ships with advanced deep sonar has joined the search for the missing Titanic submersible and said that they have to keep searching until the lost vessel was found. There have been sounds that have been picked up, and that just means that they will continue to double down and figure out where the submersible is and how it can be brought to the surface. I mean, man, that's just a scary thing. It's definitely just a scary thing when you just think about it. Visibility is next to nothing at some of the ocean depths where the search is taking place. And rescuers are relying on sonar as their best tool to identify any location. So, I mean, there's obviously no divers attempting to go down there. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't know how deep a diver can go, but I'm pretty sure it can't go 3,000, or what is it, 3,000 meters or 12,000 meters, something to that extent. So I, I doubt that that's even, you know, even possible. Uh, the rescuers themselves have their own anxiety that they need to contend with while trying to stay very focused and keep the morale high as they attempt to go in the depths of unknown. And, you know, as a diver, they say, when we go into areas which we have to go, we call it blacker than anything you could possibly imagine. So, I, just, I mean, I just, I mean, the whole thing is just crazy. Like, it's literally pitch black where they're at. And I don't know what type of equipment or what type of human being is that strong to even go down that far. I don't believe that, the, you know, the deepest submarine can go that far. So, I mean, they're definitely relying on some sort of equipment that is going to, you know, get this submersible. So that is, that is definitely, man, that is definitely, you know, they're still holding out hope. And I think that they have to, you know, kind of do that at this point right now with the knocking, the banging that they heard. I'm pretty sure that that is, that is, you know, whoever's alive left in the submersible banging, trying to, you know, trying to make some sort of noise, knowing that they're using uh, the sonar to try to, you know, hear the noises down there. So, I mean, you know, they, they're not going to give up on this at all. So they're, they're not going to give up, which I don't think that they should. But especially as long as you can continue to hear the banging. So as long as you can continue to hear the banging, you have to continue to make an effort to find the submersible. 
And this search and rescue mission is 100%. That's exactly what it is. They'll continue to put every available asset that we have in an effort to find the Titan and the crew members. They have to remain optimistic and hopeful anytime you are in a search and rescue case. And that is what they're in right now. Uh, in light of these details, uh, Frederick said the following was listed, enlisted to help you know the search efforts. Currently, there are five service assets that are searching. There will be 10 total surface assets in the next 24 to 48 hours. There are two ROVs actively searching. Several more are en route and will arrive by tomorrow morning. There are two back-to-back -back P3 flights. One is ongoing, which provides a total of 14 hours of continuous on-scene coverage. And two C-130 flights, one ongoing now throughout the day and the evening. Um, so, they're, you know, this is basically they're searching surface and subsurface elements to try to find this submersible. Uh, and that, you know, that's, they're, they're exhausting every effort. You know, that's what it appears. They're exhausting every effort to try to find this. And, you know, just prayers up, man. That's really all you, all you can say. Prayers up. You know, I'll keep you as updated as I can on this story moving forward. But definite prayers up and, Hopefully we get some some good news sooner than later. So, uh, kind of want to we're going back into an, another sports story. I know we I did a lot of sports at the beginning of this episode, but this story just kind of came across and I, and I kind of got to touch base on it. And it is the husband of a Stephen F. Austin, which is a Division One school in Texas. The husband of a Stephen F. Austin woman's bowling coach quits after his affair with a student athlete. An assistant women's bowling coach, this is coming from the AP News, an assistant women's bowling coach at Stephen F. Austin is out after the university discovered he cheated on his wife, who is the team's head coach with a student athlete. Uh, Stephen F. Austin's assistant, Steve Lemke, opted to resign rather than be fired after the school learned of the affair, which led to a split with his wife. And he is officially not working in, any longer at the school. The 30-year-old Lemke was married to head coach Amber Lemke and helped coach the team to two national titles and two second-place finishes before resigning April 10th. The couple has since filed for divorce, according to court records. Um, naturally they, they did not identify the student athlete involved, but it was reported she was a member of the bowling team. And of course they shouldn't identify the student athlete. She's already dealing with a lot of embarrassment. Putting her name out there is just going to make things even worse for her. She probably has to pretty much start her life all over again, probably has to transfer to a new school. And I'm glad they're kind of leaving her name out of this more than likely. She's, I mean, She's probably, I mean, she's more than likely she's really embarrassed, you know, by this whole situation. Uh, Avi said, although the relationship was consensual, Lemke and the student violated the university's relationship rules. Uh, Steve Lemke said his wife learned of the relationship when she saw text messages from the woman on his phone. Uh, Lemke goes on to state that he knew it was kind of a no-no but there's no, not a rule saying it can't happen. There's not a law saying I'm going to jail for doing something like this. 
there's nothing in stone. I guess it's just a code, an ethics code. Like we frown upon it, but there's no rule. There's no law broken. And that's where he's completely wrong. In regards to, you know, no law, no rule being broken. I, I don't really know. But the ethics thing, yes, it's definitely a code of ethics. It's definitely an ethical thing. It's just like a, a, a unwritten rule that that's what you're not supposed to do in the position of a coach. As someone that is, you know, has been in the position of a coach, you can't manipulate players in a situation like that. You like you just can't. It's it's I mean, he should be barred from coaching for the rest of his life. Coaches like him give other coaches a bad name for simple fact, especially because he thinks he did nothing wrong. I don't I mean, like I said, I don't know if there's a rule, a law or anything like that, but it's it's an unwritten rule in the coach's world that you're just not supposed to do that. You know, as someone that coaches youth sports, um, more than, I'd say 90% of the time, the kids that I coach or have coached have been um, brought to games, brought to practices by single parents. Whether it be a man or the mother or the father, it's been by single parents. It's it's un. Is there anything? Uh, there's not a rule or a law against you know having relations with these parents, but it's an unwritten rule that you just shouldn't do it. it like it's an unwritten rule. It's something I would never ever consider doing because it's just it's just like it. It's just something that is just an odd situation because then now you got to worry about preferential treatment to the kid, other players finding out other parents finding out and it just makes the whole situation very messy. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the wire when, uh, when Cuddy was messing with uh, Spider's mom with the, you know, at the boxing gym and Spider stopped coming to the gym because he was just uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And you should never put a kid, a child that you are coaching in any position like that. You know, you just shouldn't. Now, are there going to be parents, um, you know, I, I'll kind of speak from a, a male's perspective. Are there going to be women that may potentially try to uh, hit on you? Um, in Cuddy's case, try to make you cook you food and write you to dinner. Yes, there are. That's going to happen. You know, what they see in you as a coach, they see you as a father figure. They see you as a role model, someone that is good for their son, good for their daughter. You know, um, and, uh, you know, they're going to be try to ni- try to be nice to you. But in no way, shape, or form are you ever supposed to take that bait. It's never supposed to happen. So for this guy to be a college coach at that and to be, you know, basically kind of going after somebody that he's coaching in that situation, yes, she's an adult, you know what I mean? If he wasn't the coach, there would really be nothing that could be said. But as a coach, no, you can't do that. That's that's complete no-no situation. He really should have got the no-no of the week for that. But I just think that, you know, me personally, just my whole thing in regards to coaching, coaching and relationships, personal relationships don't really mix. It, it just doesn't it, it just doesn't mix. Like it's it's oil and water. Those things do not mix. Friendships, yes, nothing wrong with that. Relationships is a huge huge unwritten rule 
that that coaches we know we're not supposed to cross lines. Has it happened before? Yes, it has. Uh, I believe we've seen it in the WNBA. I believe we've seen it in, co- in women's college basketball. Uh, it, it's definitely probably happened before. But you know, if you are willing to lose your job for the sake of love, more than likely nobody's going to say anything to you. But you just won't be coaching again. You'll just never get a coaching job again. So you got to come down to the choice of do you want to choose love, which will potential love. We don't know if it's a fact, potential love over your career. That's a choice that you have to make. That's not a choice I'm willing to make. I will I will never choose that over over my coaching career. It's just not going to happen. So, Steve Lemke, you are definitely being frowned upon right now. What you did uh, should not be overlooked. I highly doubt that you ever get a coaching job again. And, you know, I know for his wife, that has got to be, you know, also very, very embarrassing. I know that she, you know, probably was going to the practices and looking in his phone and was looking at the name and was like, wait a minute. I know that ain't who I think it is. You know, like is that is that one of my players? I like I just know that that's not who I think it is. And you know, I yeah, I don't. I kind of want to kind of get out this story, but I just had to bring it up. It was definitely something that was on my mind uh, when I seen the story. And you know, I think it needs to be brought to the light. It needs to be brought to the light just because. Coaches like that need to be made an example of. They need to kind of be um, kind of shown of what not to do, you know, when you're in that position of power. Because ultimately, as a coach, you are in a position of power. That is that is kind of the position that you are in. So to, to abuse your power in that way is, is not good for other coaches. It, it gives the coaching role, the coach in the community, a black eye. And we just can't go for it. I really should have gave him the no-no. I should have. I should have gave him the no-no, but it's it's okay. We'll we'll, we'll kind of. He might get, he might get it in a future episode. That's for sure. He might get it in a future episode. Uh, kind of moving on from that. Um, I want to wait a minute. I kind of want to get into wait a minute before we get into that though. The last thing I want to say about the the coaching is the coaching is a secret society. All we ask is trust. All the players that we we coach, all they ask is trust. All the parents that bring their players, all they ask is trust. And and Lemke, you broke that trust with what you did. So that's the last thing I'll say about that. Um, let's get into. Uh, I I got a player hitter segment, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to really bring this person back up again. I really didn't because I feel like I already gave her the no-no of the week. But I cannot, and I haven't done a player hitter segment in a couple episodes, but I had to bring it back. But I cannot let this go unnoticed. I, like, I just can't. And this is the last time I'm going to talk about this person because I feel like after I gave her the no-no, now I'm giving her the hater segment. Like, she's getting the attention now she's looking for. And this is going to Mariah Mills, the porn star that is, you know, harassing Zion Williamson. Now she's going on a rant 
tweeting out that she's going to expose Zion with sex tapes. But that's not the reason that she's getting this hater segment. It's because she then started to, you know, it's one thing for her to tweet Zion and and kind of, you know, go back and forth with him. It's another thing when you start to tweet the New Orleans Pelicans and the NBA saying that he should be traded, he shouldn't be in the league. Like, what type of time are you on, Mariah Mills? Like, that's completely being a hater. Like, that's ultimate hater action that you are exhibiting. Like, I don't know, like, what are you doing contacting his employer and trying to mess up his money, the money that you keep asking him for? So you saying that he should be traded, he shouldn't be in the league, he don't deserve this, he don't deserve that, and tagging the Pelicans and the NBA in those tweets is the ultimate hater move. And I don't know if you're trying to, like, make him lose his contract I don't know what you're doing, but obviously you've bumped your head. And it, it makes absolutely no sense. So I was kind of glad to see that her Twitter had got suspended because she was officially doing way too much. Like at this point, she's doing way too much. And I'm trying to figure out like what her end goal is right now. But her end goal can't possibly be to get Zion out the league so he's never bringing any more any more money into the in like like he's not able to make any more money that can't be her end goal it can't be you you keep posting you know screenshots of him you know the wires that he's sending you so why would your end goal to be to get him out the league like that that right there is just beyond me it it, it makes absolutely no sense and it's just like that's a lot of like you got to have a lot of hate build up to try to take a man to try to take somebody from you know the ability to make income for themselves for their family and for that reason right there Mariah Mills this player hater segment is going to you because you are really hating like you trying to you're really trying to stop this man's motion and all because you're I, I don't even know like all because you're bitter you know what I mean? This this hater segment is going to you, Mariah Mills. You got to stop hating Mariah Mills. Now you're messing with this man's money. I mean, you can't no more. So obviously, you know, Twitter and Elon Musk and, and Adam Silver and all them, they got you up and out of here because you was definitely officially doing too much. What you're doing is defamatory. Uh, he should, Zion should really get a cease and desist letter against you. You are, you know, assassinating his character, all types of things. So that, I mean, yeah, we got to, we can't, we, yeah, we just can't, that's hating. That's ultimate hate. So that's something that we just not going for at all. Um, We about to end this episode. What else do we have going on right now? Um, It's the first day of summer today. So that is, uh, yeah, it's the first day of summer. It's, I never realized that summer doesn't start until like the end of June. 
uh, and it goes until like the end of September. I always think the summer starts once this, the first day is hot. So I don't know why, you know, why I think that, but yeah. So today is officially the first day of summer. Here in the city, we're getting, I think they said 15 hours of sunlight today on this first day of summer. Like the sun, that's it. I think the sun came out at like five something in the morning. It's not setting until like almost nine. So I guess that's a cool thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's the, it's the first day of summer. I haven't unbigged my back at all. My summer body is definitely not going down um, this year. That's not happening once again. Uh, so I got to I got to lock in, man. So I guess summer you get whatever body I got right now, but I got to lock in, man. I, I've got to lock in. Twenty twenty four summer, we coming, we coming, we unbigging the back, and we getting the summer body back right. You know what I mean? I'm gonna start working on slowly progressing myself to when my birthday come. You know what I mean? I'm somewhat a little bit more in shape. But it's time It's time for me to take this serious. I definitely kept saying by the time summer started, I was going to unbig my back and I was going to be all right. Now nah, we didn't came. It's here now. You know, then I was saying 4th of July, that's not going to happen. So now I got to I got to set my goal for my birthday now, which is in September. And. um, Yeah, man, that's that's what we're going to do. But it, it's you know, it's 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 now city boy summer, city girl summer, act bad summer, toxic summer. Get into it definitely enjoy yourself i'm gonna definitely enjoy myself and uh you know be safe with it you know what i mean speaking of being safe with it shout out to, I'm, I'm i'm actually i'm gonna shine some light on rick ross i haven't done a shining segment in a while either i'm gonna shine some light on rick ross because he donated money to keep the fed county free clinic open uh the fed county care clinic opened in 2005 it nearly had to close into a donation from rapper and fed resident rick ross changed that Ross told the you know the the news that a clinic like this means a lot to me. He had lost his father at an early age and felt like one of the reasons why he lost him so early was because of his lack of health care. Uh, at this Fed clinic, it provides free health services, including medical, visual, vision, dental, mammography, and mental health to Fed residents eighteen or older. For many, it could be their only access to proper health care. Ross presented a check for thirty thousand dollars, a hundred thirty thousand, yeah, thirty thousand dollars, um, you know, to the clinic. And a lot of the patients that come to this clinic, all of them, their income level is two hundred percent below the poverty level, so they really don't have a lot of money for health care. So it's good to see Ross, you know, just kind of doing what you know, doing we you know what we usually see Ross do at times like this. And, you know, and speaking of, you know, us getting into this summer and stay out the clinic, you know what I mean? Be, you know, be as safe, be as safe as possible, you know, with this city girl, act bad summer, city boys, toxic stuff. Yeah, you definitely got the, uh, you know, you got to protect yourself while you out here in these streets. You know what I mean? But just know if you're down and fed, you can, you can go to the clinic and it, you'll be good. Rick Ross, Rick Ross took care of y'all. But um, yeah, man. So you know, we 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 uh, <laughs> we definitely want to shine some light on the Ross man for for taking care of that. And you know, with Ross, you just always you know those are things that you can't expect from him. Even when he helped Meek out and you know purchase one of Meek's houses. So let's just shine some light on Rick Ross, man. Shiny, 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 shiny. 
had to shine some light on Rick Ross, man. But that's all we got for this episode. I definitely have broken this episode. I definitely covered a lot of things, I feel like, in this episode. Uh, and I will definitely keep you updated on what's going on with this submersive. Uh, we are going to do something on the draft, probably after the draft comes out. Maybe, yeah, because there's a lot going on with the draft. I really want to go to the draft. It's in the Barclays. I'm still undecided on that. But, um, yeah, we, you know, we're one day away from the draft. So NBA comps are definitely out there. Definitely tap in, see what I got to say about you know, my sleepers at a draft, my, my second round picks and my top five high ceiling draft players. So definitely tap into that. Other than that, man, we getting out of here. Oh, the XXL released their freshman class. Uh, I've seen a couple people on there, Finesse two times, Glorilla, Lola Brooke, Rob 49. Um, it was a decent freshman class. It wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't anything crazy that I thought, but there's a couple notable names on there. The BET Awards are coming out. The BET Award is this weekend. Yes, the BET Awards are this weekend. And definitely make sure you tap into that. And uh, that's all we got, man. We getting out of here. My computer going crazy right now. I don't know what's going on. But that's it. That's all we we getting out of here, man. With this wheezy, you got it. Episode seventy one. We out of here. Deuces, Ariva Durce, Gia. Essence Fest coming up next week. If you going down there, Essence Fest coming up next week. Hot Boys Wayne was ridiculous. That's why when he say he got so many raps he don't remember. We yeah, remember Wayne been rapping since like the early nineties. Enjoy your summer, first day of summer. You got it.